Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Twenty twenty was a strange year for all of us in many different ways. One of the things I noticed is that there were two questions that I was most frequently asked in twenty twenty that I had never been asked before in my sixty seven years of life. First question was, uh, "Do you have your mask?" Asked mostly by my wife as we were walking out the door, and I always kept uh, my mask in my left pocket, and then I have a half a dozen clean ones and a little baggie in my car, so I was always able to say, yep, here it is. Second question was harder to answer, though. It's the question that I've been getting for the last uh, 10, 11 months when people are saying, how have you been enjoying your retirement? Now, there's several reasons I have a struggle answering that question. One of the reasons is because I wonder if people really want to know. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever said it, anybody ever said to you, hey, how are you doing? And you actually told them? You know, they start looking at their watch. They start walking faster, you know. They start looking over your shoulder. And so I really wonder if anybody really wants to know the answer to that question. The, uh, the other reason that I hesitate is because I haven't retired. Uh, those of you who know me best know that I don't believe that's a biblical uh, concept. If you stop using your brain, it'll stop working. If you stop using your body, it'll stop working. And that we were made to work. When God created us, he gave us a purpose. He gave us jobs to do. He gave us unique gifts and abilities. And that doesn't stop when you hit a magical age. And if I answer the question, how are you enjoying your retirement in a short little quip, I'm reinforcing an American stereotype that says you should work way, way too much in your 30s, 40s, and 50s and work way too little in your 60s and beyond. It's not about a job. You can retire from a job. You can change roles in life, but you can't retire from a calling. You really can't. And I really believe that our calling, what God has made us for, how he's purposed us, how he formed us together in our mother's womb is a lifetime commitment. And it's not only a lifetime commitment, but it's a commitment that you keep on discovering as you go along. This past uh, weekend, I happened to pick up a book that was written by the founder of Whole Foods Market. And in that book, he, it's called Conscious Leadership by John Mackey. He talks about every company needs to have a purpose beyond just making money. And if that's to happen, he says, one of the things that needs to happen is the person who runs that company needs to have a purpose just beyond having a job. He writes in the book, he says, we don't come out of adolescence understanding what makes us tick. And most of us have barely begun to find our purpose. It's not something that comes attached to a college degree or to a 21st birthday card. Of course, there are some who know exactly what they want to do and why from an early age and more power to them. But for most of us, purpose is not so simple. A fumbling, perhaps has conscious exploration of talents, capacities, values, and curiosities. 
And then I love what he says here. He says, don't ask a kid what they want to do when they grow up. Ask them what they love to do. You're going to get a better answer. Sometimes the best way is to start is by simply following our own individual inclinations with some degree of conviction and commitment. The things we are drawn to are really windows into our soul. Then several pages later he says this, which I resonate with, and even when it's found it must be rediscovered, remembered, reinvented, and renewed. In that sense, purpose is a living thing. In fact, it's not really a thing at all, but a process. It's not an object that we find, but it's an ongoing discovery that unfolds throughout our lives. Here's what I believe. I believe that all of us, every single one of us, have a calling. And the question I would ask you today is, are you in the process of discovering that calling? Are are you courageously living out that calling? Your job may change, but your calling does not. Uh, One of my favorite authors is Jim Collins, who wrote From Good to Great and other wonderful books. I don't think Jim is a Christian yet. We've actually been praying for him for many, many years. But uh, he speaks about some things that I resonate with. He talks about when you get ready to find the job that you're going to do, that it's an intersection, really, if you do it well, of three circles. One circle is the, the circle of what you're good at. You know, that really makes sense, doesn't it, that we would actually have a job doing something that we're actually proficient in? And then he says the second thing is something that we're passionate about. I would just say that you enjoy doing. Friends, life is too short, and you spend too much time in your working day, whether you're drawing a paycheck for it or whether you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, whatever you're doing, life's too short to do something that you don't enjoy, you don't get up in the morning looking forward to. And then he says the last thing is find something that they'll actually give you money for, which helps, you know, if you want to put bread on the table. And he says the intersection of that, something that you're proficient at, you're good at because of your natural inclinations or your degree or your skill or your training or the apprenticeship that you went through. It's something you look forward to doing everything because it's what God made you to do and that somebody would actually pay you money for. Now, I would say this is calling is a little bit different because sometimes your calling and your job that you have to make a living, there's a more of an intersection for some people than there are for others. There are people who are in a partnership and a marriage where one partner takes care of this part, which sets the other partner free to do what they enjoy and what God made them to do, whether that's, again, a stay-at-home mom, or that's to give support to the one who is the breadwinner of the family, or to be a volunteer and to work without having to receive pay to be who God has made you to be. But the, the point is, is to find that sweet spot. Now, here's my fear. My fear is that many times in the process of doing that, and looking at our work, and looking at our calling, and looking at our purpose, that we do so blindly. We do so without a biblical view. And if you don't have a biblical view, I think there are two extremes, if we're not careful, that we can fall into. One extreme is what I call careerism, where you live for your job, where your job is way more important than it should be, where you get your self-esteem and your worth from your job. And you actually worship at the altar of your job. You spend way too much time and, and you're derelict in some of the other responsibilities and the other, very frankly, callings of your life that come before putting food on the table for your family. Let me give you a riddle today. 
What do you call someone who's divorcing their third wife, they're an alcoholic, they're estranged from their kids, and they're heading up a Fortune 500 company? In America, you call that a success. Really? That's someone who's winning at work, but they're losing at life. And if we're not careful, work becomes all too important, all too consuming. You see, work is not bad. God created us to be productive. He created us to be workers. But work was never meant to provide for you what only God can provide for you. Work makes a terrible God. It, takes a, it makes a terrible master. What happens, you find yourself being caught up in the rat race. And part of the rat race is a race for competency to somehow get to where you have a proficiency that's so good that you're recognized, that you make partner or you make a certain amount of money or you get a certain title. And the problem is when you're in the rat race is that the finish line keeps getting moved. Uh, for many, many years, I've gone down to downtown Dallas on Thanksgiving Day to, with 30,000 of my closest friends to run in the turkey trot. And there are two races that you can run. One of them's about three miles long and the other one's about eight miles long. And one time I went and I got to the end of the finish line and I, and I found a friend who was just exhausted. And the reason was that he was thinking he was running in the shorter race and he missed the turn for the shorter race and he ended up being in the longer race. And he kept turning the corner thinking that he was going to find the finish line and he, and he and it kept on going. He kept turning corners after corners after corners and it destroyed him. He was in the wrong race. He was in a race where they kept moving the finish line. Sometimes it's not a race for competency. Sometimes it's a race for competition. As we compare ourselves to someone else who's in the same field of endeavor that we are. And here's what we have a tendency to do. We always have our tendency to compare ourselves with somebody's greatest strength, which is our greatest weakness. I find myself today doing a lot of mentoring with a lot of young pastors. One of the things I warn them about is it's great to benchmark other people and to learn from other people, but if you're not careful, you'll go to a church and there's somebody who's a great writer and you compare your writing with their writing. You go to another church and there's someone who's a great speaker and you compare their speaking with your speaking. And then you go to another church and there's somebody who's a great leader and administrator and vision caster and you compare. And if you're not careful, you can come back defeated comparing your weak areas with everyone else's strong areas. And the truth is, is none of those individuals are strong in every area either. And it becomes a competition about who's best. Or sometimes it's a race for consumerism. It's about getting that higher salary and what that higher salary will provide you for you, that bigger house, that nicer car, to live in a particular neighborhood or to go on a certain number of vacations. And friends, none of that satisfies. It doesn't matter how much you get or how hard you run, none of it satisfies. And career becomes all too important. Now, the other extreme of that is uh, the thank God it's Friday-ism. And that's the person who just lives for that paycheck. That's the only reason they're going to work is because of that paycheck. And really what they're living for is they're living for the weekend where they could be away from their job. And the whole time they're away from their job on the weekend, they're dreading that Monday morning that's going to roll around again. Friends, we spend one-third of our life, if you work away from home, you spend one-third of your life, whether even if you work in home, you spend one-third of your life at work where people are asking you to be productive. That's too much of your life to just to write off, to just tolerate. And we find ourselves in one of those two extremes if we don't understand what the Word of God 
says about work and work's proper place in our life. Several truths that I would invite you to consider this morning. First of all, that God is a worker. The Bible tells us in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible that God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says that he rested on the seventh day. What did he rest from? He rested from his work. Now, God didn't need to rest, but he's trying to set an example for us, a, a Sabbath for us, that once a week we stop being productive. Once a week we stop providing and we just trust God for that day. And we spend that day investing in the most important thing in life, and that is relationships. Our relationship with him and others that are significant in our life. But the, the point there is that God is a worker. And, and it's interesting to look when you see what God, the work that God did and is doing, is that God created temporary things. And so even if you are in a job where you're creating temporary things, things that will not last in eternity, you are doing what God did. And work is good. And when God got through creating those temporary things again and again and again, he said, it's good. It's good. And you ought to be able at the end of a day, at the end of a week, uh, whatever work that you put your hand to as a volunteer or as a mom or as a teacher, as a, as a doctor, as uh, someone who works in retail or runs a company, you ought to be able to say, hey, that's good. God made me to do that. And I'm doing it for the right reason and I've got it in its right place. And it's doing some other wonderful things for myself and for others. It's good. Second truth we find from the Bible though is not only is God a worker, but God created us to be co-workers with him. In Genesis, the first chapter, verse 27, it says this, and God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and then subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Later on that same chapter, it says, God put man in the garden and he made him manager over his creation. God has called us to be a coworker with him. That means you and I, no matter what we do, in fact, there are very few, let me just put this caveat in there. There are a few things that are legal in America that are not godly in terms of a job, okay? But excluding those, if you're, if you're working anywhere, you're in a partnership with God. You're helping manage his creation. You could actually come up with a business card if you wanted to that said God and me, incorporated. You want to put his name first because he is the senior partner, Okay. But you're in a partnership with God. That means that you don't have to leave your so-called secular job to go into the ministry. We're all in the ministry. We're all in partnership with God. And God can take that which you're doing and make it sacred. And he can, inside of that work, whether again you get paid or not, inside of that work, he can create opportunities that are going to impact eternity. You're a partner with God. The third truth that comes from the scripture about our work is that through our work, we can serve others. If you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, look there in Colossians, the third chapter. You may want to stay there for a while because we're going to come back to it in a moment and dig some more out of this. But it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. You see, it's in our work that we serve others. What we do may be temporary, but wh whom we do it for those people are going to live forever. 
Peter Drucker, the great business guru, he, he, he said this. He says, all businesses who are out just to make money are not going to be in business very long. Businesses must create something of value to people to stay in business. It is through our work that we serve people that God created, people for whom Christ died. That's what brings value. Fourth truth is that our work not only meets our needs, it also meets the needs of our family. In 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter and verse 8, it says this, Nor did we eat anyone's bread, this is Paul speaking, without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we didn't have a right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Don't miss verse 10. Verse 10 says, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Talks about the value of working so that we're not a burden on someone else. Let me just say a quick word to parents right here. I think one of the traps that we can fall into as parents is that we can raise entitled children. Where we can give them things without making them extend effort or to work for them. And many times we do it with a good heart. We, we, want, we love our kids. We want to give our kids the best. But we short uh, we're short-sighted in that we, we grow up kids who don't know how to do their own laundry. They don't know how to boil water. water. Uh, they come with a sense of entitlement that I should get something without doing anything. And they become a burden on their future family. They become a burden on future society. The Bible says if someone is not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. Now, it doesn't say if, if he doesn't work. There are some who can't work. But we're to provide for ourselves so that we will not be a burden on others. And we're to provide in such a way that we can actually help those who can't provide for themselves. In 1 Timothy, the the fifth chapter, verse 8, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Whoa! That's pretty strong language about work, isn't it? It says, get your rear and gear and produce something, is what it says. Or you're acting like you, you don't even know God. Because God's a worker, and God's called us to be co-workers. And he wants us not to be burdened on others, but he also wants us to provide for our own. I saw something in this scripture. That's why it's called the living word that I hadn't seen before. Look at that phrase. It says, but he who does not provide for his own... But then it goes on a step further and it says, and especially for those of his household. That means that there are some who are my own that I'm responsible for that don't even live in my household. Uh, I live in a neighborhood. And, and because I'm in that neighborhood and because I know the story of the Good Samaritan, which says, who is my neighbor? The man asked, and he said, anybody that you run into that has a need that you can meet. And so as I live my life in all the neighborhoods that I live in, the people that I meet who have needs, I am responsible not only taking care of myself so I'm not a burden on others and taking care of those who are in my household, but I'm responsible for providing for some who cannot take care for themselves. And they're in my neighborhood, and they're in my city, and they're in my state, and they're in my nation, and they're in this neighborhood called the world. Which is the next truth, which is the truth that when we work, we not only are able to provide for ourselves and for those that are our own, but it allows us to give to others. 
In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 28, it says this, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Talk about before and after. There were people in that early church who were thieves, and the way that they covered their own expenses is they took the hard labor of someone else and they stole from them. And he says, now that you're a believer, you're going to go from that darkness all the way over to the full side of the light. Not only are you going to provide for yourself and still no longer, but you're going to work and labor with your hands so that you can actually give to people. And so you're not a taker anymore. You're a giver. That ought to be a mark of the Christian life. Man, they are generous people. And they're discerning in their generosity, led by the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, God bless you guys. This year, we received more for our annual mission offering than ever before in the 42-year history of our church. And because of that, there are children in Mexico who are going to have eyeglasses and they actually be able to see when they go to school. There are going to be kids in Ghana who have uh, medical help whenever they have a disease so it doesn't stunt their development and their life. There are going to be people who are going to find a church in Miami, Florida. I've been praying for Miami a long, long time. Now we have a church planner there by the name of Carlos. And because you gave, there's going to be a church there that's conservative, evangelical, new paradigm that relates to that culture. And on and on and on and on, and the homeless who are uh, because of mental difficulties, uh, who live in the inner city of Dallas are going to have a place to take a shower and a place to get a clean pair of socks and a warm meal. And on and on and on, there are going to be people who will spend eternity in heaven because you worked and you provided for your own so that they would not be a burden, but you did more than that. You gave. Uh, one of the exciting things about pastoring a church is seeing people climb up the generosity ladder. And take that next step. There are some of you, when you came to Lake Point, you were giving away nothing to anyone else. You were consuming everything that you had plus more. You were giving nothing, and then you started giving something, and you realized that what the Bible says about giving is true, that it's more blessed to give than receive. And you begin to understand what the Bible talks about when it talks about being a cheerful giver. And you moved to some, from something to significant. You started giving a gift that actually changed your values and changed your heart, maybe even changed your lifestyle. And then some of you even started hitting what I call threshold giving, where you took the first 10% of what you made. And before you did anything else, before you established your lifestyle, before you decided what car you were going to drive or where, what neighborhood you li live in, you gave the first fruits to the Lord. And then some of you have even started on that grand adventure that I call spirit-led sacrificial giving, which is always more than 10%. And that's a journey that we go on that it not only provides for others, but it does something to us. It's a spiritual discipline that changes us. It changes our hearts. It keeps us from careerism. It keeps us from the rat race of consumerism. And God has done that in your heart and is doing that in your heart. Some of you have even drawn a line and you said it's enough. Uh, several conversations that I remember having over the years, there, there was years ago there was a, a man in our church who was really good at what God created him to, to do. And he got to the point in his life where he sold his business and he really didn't have to work again another day in his life. And, and yet he's still a fairly young man in his mid-40s. And he came to me and said, hey, Steve, I'm thinking about... Uh, not starting another company, I'm thinking about maybe going into the ministry. 
I, I knew the guy pretty well, and so one of the things that I said to him is I said, hey, let me ask you something. Are you good at what you've been doing? I said, oh, yeah, that's why I've been successful. That's why I was able to sell my company and everything. I said, did you enjoy it? Oh, look forward every day. It's like what God made me to do, and I could use this skill, and I could use this ability and everything else. And, and I said, well, here, here's what I know about you. I think I know a, a, enough about you to know that you would be a lousy pastor. <laughs> you would really stink at that. So why don't you do what God made you to do that you're really good at, that, that you really enjoy, and if you've got way too much money, just draw a line there and give all the money to Lake Point. <laughs> or if not Lake Point, some other endeavors. You care about the unborn and you care about the hungry and just keep on doing what you're doing. See, you don't have to leave the job where you're a co-worker with God that God created you to do just because you don't need money. I want us to go back to that Colossians passage because it's rich. It's so rich. In Colossians, the third chapter, look what it says there. And it says in verse 23, whatever you do in word or deed, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Verse 24 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, one of the reasons I like this verse is it's my, one, of, one of my wife's favorite verses. And it's one of my wife's favorite verses because of when it came to her. Let me tell you a little bit about my wife's transitions. See, I, I really haven't retired. I've just transitioned. Uh, in, in, my, in my early days, I was a student minister, and I transitioned from being a student minister to being a pastor. And then I, after pastoring for several years, I looked up one day, and, and I wasn't the only person on our staff. We had like eight ministers on our staff. And I, and I transitioned from being a shepherd to being a rancher, okay? And through life groups and through other staff members, I was pastoring. And then uh, there came a day I looked up, and we had 240 full-time staff members here at Lake Point. And there was another transition that I had to make in order to continue to live out the calling of sharing Christ and building believers that God had put on my life. And then real recently, I've gone through a transition where now I'm spending most of my time coaching and mentoring young pastors and consulting but I never left my calling. My callings never change. I'm still sharing Christ and building believers. I'm just doing it in a different role, a different way. And, and I found the same thing true of my wife. My wife started off as the, the wife of a student minister and her love for students. And she was working with sophomore girls and then there, our, our, our kids came along and God called her to take that same passion, that same calling to be a stay at home mom for a good while. And then she transitioned again to being a school teacher in the public school uh, districts, and parents fought over who would get in Marsha's class because she was living out who God made her to be and her calling that she was uniquely gifted to do. And then there came a time where she transitioned again, and, and she's actually in that transition now where she's a full-time grandmother, and believe me, it is a full-time job. But she never left her calling. But when she was a stay-at-home mom with two little preschoolers. She was leaning over a toilet one day, cleaning a toilet, and she said that this verse, Colossians 3, 23 through 24, came to her. She said she never memorized it before, but it came to her word for word in King James Version. I guess that's how the Holy Spirit speaks in King James Version. <laughs> Whatever you do in word or deed, deed being cleaning a toilet, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. 
I want you to think about that verse for a moment. It says, do your work. See, don't miss this, friends. This is where it starts is when you figure out what your calling is, what your gifting is, where those circles come together for you. And a part of that is it's not rocket science, friends. It's just paying attention to the design, paying attention to the design. If you look at a 747 airliner, if you look at that, you, you wouldn't have to know a whole lot about uh, airplanes to figure out what the best use for that would be. Now, you could just take a, a quick glance at it and say, hey, you know, that's a big old uh, a piece of metal that somebody's constructed. That'd be a great place to store toilet paper. And you know it would. You could store a lot of toilet paper in a 747. But if you look a little closer, that seems to be a waste of a very expensive warehouse because that thing has wings on it. And it's aerodynamic. In spite of the size, it's aerodynamic. And there are engines attached to those wings. This thing can fly. And so you say, well, you know, maybe the best use is not to store toilet paper. Maybe it's for, for it to be a crop duster. But that's a lot of dust. You know what I'm saying? And you might scare the animals if you flew over the, all the fields with a 747. And so you, you look a little closer, you look inside, and you find out that thing's filled with seats. Ah, this best use might be to be a passenger jet. It's not rocket science. It's not even airplane science. It's just paying attention. And as we pay attention to how God made us, we find out that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a lot of great tools out there. Uh, one of the tools that we used for many, many years was a tool called DISC. We now use something called Culture Index. And basically, it just measures your personality. And what it tells you is there's some of us who are wired the way we're wired. We're wired to be fast-paced, to look toward the future instead of the past, to step into problems. We're kind of ready, fire, aim people. And God uses that in certain roles. And then there are some people who are more slow-paced. And slow, by the way, is someone who looks at the past and the history and the records, and they find security in repetitive tasks. And, and friends, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. I want my airline pilot to live over here. I want my neurosurgeon to live over here. There's not a bad place on the chart, but it does tell you something about where you ought to be productive. There are some of us who are more task-oriented. There are people who do their best work sitting in a cubicle, looking at a calculator or a computer and not interacting with people. To interact with people actually drains them. Then there are other people that they would dry up and die in a, in a job like that, that they're more people-oriented. And where we are on that continuum we intuitively know, and yet there are people who are slower paced, who like repetitive tasks, who are more task oriented, who go into sales. How's that gonna work out? Not, not so much. And they do so because of the money that's being offered or because someone recommended that they take a certain degree or that mom and dad wanted them to do that and they find themselves in a heap of trouble. We need to pay attention to the way that God has designed us. Note it says, do your work heartily. The word heartily does not mean with perfection. The word heartily does not mean excessively where you neglect the other callings in your life, the calling to be a spouse, the calling 
to be a husband, the calling to find your ministry where you give away your time and your talents. And it says that we're to do it unto the Lord. In other words, we work for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our boss. And on the worst day with our supervisor, we remind ourselves that we're co-workers with God and he has created us to work and to be productive so we can provide for ourselves and provide for our families and provide for our own and provide for others and honor him. I think about church members in our church like uh, Jerry Minks, who I knew in high school and he was a party animal. It was, he was not walking with the Lord at that time. Uh, but he was always fun to be with and he was always trying to get people to join in. And then the Lord got a hold of his life as an adult and he was uh, working on the freight docks at that time. And he decided like Matthew to throw a party for Jesus and invite as many people as he could to, to get on the wagon to go to heaven instead of hell. And then later on in life, he came on staff with us to be in our missions department and he's still doing that. He, he never lost his calling. He changed his jobs. He changed his roles, but he never lost his calling. I think about the person who sold me a house 42 years ago when I first moved to Rockwall. Her name was Jinxie Patton. And I was amazed at the kind of real estate agent that she was. She was so sensitive and she listened and she helped us find the right neighborhood at the right price and didn't try to stretch us beyond that. And she was concerned about where our kids would go to school. And I just, I was amazed at the skill at which she did that. And then I started noticing that people were coming to church and I would say, hey, how'd you find out about Lake Point? And they said, oh, Jinxie sold us a house. She, she sold homes to put food on the table for her family, but her calling was to help people find a church home. More importantly, home in heaven. You can retire from a job. You can change roles. But I want you to hear something today. God made you for something. To be productive, to work, to create, to provide for others and yourself. What's your calling? Don't ever retire, retire from that. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us in unique and wonderful ways. Help us to pay attention to how you made us. Help us to live out, dear Father, the calling that you have on our life. We thank you, dear Father, that uh, you've given us skills and abilities so that we can provide for ourselves and provide for others. But Father, we know that that job doesn't limit the reason we're here and help us realize that we're to keep using our mind and we're to keep using our body and that we can continue to serve and to give and to work and it can be a delight we pray all this in the precious name of jesus amen thanks for listening today for more biblical teaching and worship join us for our church online live weekend services on saturdays at 5 p.m and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. slash digital.